and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today's show number 27. I have the lovely Paul Von Bergen uh, with me on the show a little bit later today. He's the founder of Billabong Retreat, yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and uh, believe it or not, used to try and sell uh, through his marketing career, cigarettes to children. So he's got a very interesting story that I know you will find beautiful in terms of the lessons that are woven through the various chapters so far, uh, as with so many people who go on to use a bit of a messy past or maybe misguided could be the word, and and really fuel making a difference for other people, as I always say, making their mess their message. Uh, Paul's a great example of that. Now, I just wanted to remind you that we are now halfway through the month where you can get 25% off from our generous show partner this month, Republica Coffee. And you want to go to republicaorganic.com.au, use your Lotox Life code in the checkout, and you get 25% off, which is huge. And you can order, everything gets ordered by six online on their website. So it's an excuse to catch up with a couple of friends. Uh, and it's very subtly kind of educate around organics and fair trade if it's something you're passionate about but you want to spread the word what better way to do that by st- than by starting with a bit of a special on something and saying guys I've just managed to get a really great deal on organic fair trade coffee do you want to go in with me let's catch up and have a coffee and uh, divvy it up when the parcel gets here uh, now, you know, coffee is one of those contentious things and and I, uh, you read the fors, you read the against and for me it really comes down to uh, lots of people suiting coffee and some people just not suiting coffee in terms of metabolism of caffeine itself. But for those that do, uh, there's some huge research these days around the health benefits of coffee. For example, Harvard University, a 200,000-person study showing that two cups of coffee a day was 50% more likely to reduce suicide uh, risk in the people who had those two cups of coffee a day. Incredible. University of Wisconsin was another one I looked up before jumping on to record today. Uh, And they did a 16,000-person study and showed that people drinking two to three cups of coffee a day in their study group were 30% less likely to contract Alzheimer's. So, you know, this, this stuff isn't light research and certainly not insignificant results. We're talking about big, big percentages. So if you're someone who enjoys your coffee and and it doesn't, you know, give you that negative impact of like excessive jitters to have one or two uh, cups a day, then chow down people because it looks like it's actually a really great idea for your mental health in particular. Now, I've also popped today on Instagram this morning, you will see it there, a beautiful coffee-inspired smoothie. I know a lot of people are busy. Sometimes you even might like to whip this up the night before and pop it in the fridge with a couple of serves worth of big jars so that you've got two mornings worth of breakfast to just quietly sip away on the train or on the go when you're taking the kids to school, however you might start your day. It's a really delicious uh, smoothie. I used to be, if you you can believe it, uh, quite a well-known bartender. And in the bar that I ran, Lotus in Sydney, I was pretty well known for my twist on the espresso martini. Yes, it's true, folks. We all have a past. And I don't say that alcohol is a terrible thing. You know, one or two of something really incredible quality once or twice a week is a beautiful thing to do as far as I can see from any research. So I'm certainly not a reformed person who's against 
all forms of alcohol, but of course I'm a bit of a Frenchie in, in that you drink the best you can afford and probably half to a third as much. Now, yes, so please go and check out the smoothie. I can't wait to see if you guys make it. If you do, tag me on Instagram, lowtoxlife, all one word, lowercase. I would love to see your efforts. Most people are better at styling things on Instagram than I am, so I always like to see your work to make up for my shoddy photography. What else can I tell you? Yes, so before I jump into my chat with Paul today, I wanted to share with you a rather intimate look at what I've been going through the past six months uh, since I had a pretty routine eye surgery from a wonderful surgeon. Everything went very well uh, from that viewpoint back in June last year. And I felt that it was important for me to share this story because I think a lot of people who listen to podcasts or read blogs and follow people who they, you know, we, we all tend to turn people into gurus. Yeah. I even made the mistake of calling Paul a guru today in our chat that you'll hear very soon. And he corrected me straight away and I corrected myself straight away because no one is anyone's guru. We are our own best gurus. But my point about bringing that word up is, is that we can build people up to be perfect and to then start to victimise, victim mentality ourselves and say, well, it's okay for her, she works in health and she's probably always feeling amazing. And I really just wanted to share that, no, that's absolutely not the case. And I have many, many friends in health, uh, in the industry, in education, in recipe inspiration, in helping us all live our best selves, whether it be mental, physical, all of the above, like low-tox life is. And everybody goes through challenges and I'm a big believer that you, you cannot avoid, you cannot control what you do in your life to the point where you will be completely immune to anything bad happening to you. It's better that we realise this sooner rather than later because, well, it just is, isn't it? But what we can do is we can control our reaction and we can deal with the challenges that come our way in the best way possible. And the way I've found in the last few months to do that is to surround myself with a village of support, whether it be, uh, for me, it was very much a mix of very close friends that I felt comfortable with at my worst and very incredible incredible practitioners uh, across a whole bunch of modalities, which I'll go into in a sec, and also, of course, family, which is the cornerstone of everything. And if you're a single parent or your family is far away, then your friends are your family. And really, it's it's connectedness, as I spoke to Dr. Sinatra about a few shows ago on um, Near Death and Healing, which was a, just a fantastic chat and a window into what he has realised is is at the cornerstone of, of true deep healing. And connectedness, that sense of belonging and really being connected to people is just so important when we're at our most vulnerable and sick. So I had this operation and uh, I'm not someone who's ever been great with any kind of drugs. Anything that my body has to metabolise and and has to go through my liver, chances are it's going to have adverse effects or chances are it'll have the opposite effect. Quite often that happens to me with supplements and herbs that (laughs) my beautiful practitioners want to happen. Uh, Valerian is an example of that. It actually hypes me up instead of chilling me out. But, you know, we learn these things. Uh, over the years and for some reason because this eye operation all happened so fast I had had a leaky right eye for so long and but then it was diagnosed and then uh, surgery was booked in and it was all just happening so fast 
that I didn't really think about it in the way that I would normally apply my preventative brain to such a thing that was going to be happening in that I didn't really prepare for surgery in any which way. It was all very fast. And because it was such a surgical kind of seemingly black and white exercise, you go in, we cut a little hole through the nasal cavity into the tear duct, unblock it, put a stent in for a bit and we're done, right? So for some reason, my little natural healing uh, out of the box thinking brain really left me in this time. And it did for a little while afterwards too because all the literature in the post-op said... Don't worry if you're still feeling terrible after a week. You know, sometimes people just snap out of it in in two weeks it can take, uh, so don't worry. So I wasn't really doing a huge amount other than taking a little bit of milk thistle and uh, looking after my myself with some vitamin C. But clearly not enough and clearly not to the levels that I needed to detox this general anaesthetic that just hung out in me like, a, a, I don't know what the expression is, I'm terrible with the expression, but like a hung like a ton of bricks. It was just, it obviously was just sitting in my system. And I started to have these issues, uh, huge pounding heartbeat and anxiety. And it'd just be one day, then it'd be a couple of days, then it lasted for like a whole week. But there always seemed to be something around it, which I could put it down to. I was going to America on a research trip. So I thought, oh, you know, I must just be anxious about the flight or the trip. I've never, maybe I'm anxious about travel sometimes, the actual flying itself. But really, even that has subsided dramatically over the years, um, shaking off my poor dad's anxiety around that who passed it on to me initially. Um, But travel, I adore. So, you know, even in my right mind in retrospect, I don't know if you guys have done this, but I'm like, you're not even worried about travel. You love adventure. You love just getting in a plane on your own and, and, and walking the streets of, you know, whatever city you end up in. So, um, but I put, things down to things, right? So I kept being able to kind of rationalise why this big loud heartbeat was happening. And then it set in. Uh, So it set in when I was in Perth, end of October, finally, permanently. And I'd wake up at like 4.30 in the morning, eyes wide open and just so adrenally pumped and thought, oh, it's, you know, 7.30 back in Sydney, the time difference, it must be that. But then I got back to Sydney and it kept happening. And then I rationalised it and said, oh, but you've got your TED Talk next week, so it must be that you're nervous. I've never been nervous about speaking in my life. I love public speaking. I know that might sound strange to some people out there, but it really is my favourite part of my job. I love just making a few quick notes, chatting to the speaker, putting together a bit of a plan and then just getting up there, whether it's 10 people, 400 people, never had an issue before. And all of a sudden after this surgery, literally from one minute to the next, I had anxiety around speaking and this pounding heartbeat and anxiety just started to literally stop being able to shake off. It wasn't just a one day here and there, it was permanent. So sleep deprivation then kicked in because I couldn't sleep through this heartbeat. I I can't explain to you how loud and how physically I felt it throughout my whole body. But it, you know, four or five days in of getting two, three hours sleep in like little cat naps all throughout the night made me go to my doctor straight away and say, oh my gosh, what is wrong with my heart? You know, I went and had all the tests that you needed to have done. My heart, I'll still remember going with my beautiful 
friend Brenda Janshek, who a lot of you may know if you've done the Thrive um, Kids food e-course that we run, uh, which will be in March next time. Um, but she came and supported me and I, I remember asking the ultrasound technician after she did a thorough ultrasound of my heart and then hooked me up to the monitor to wear for a day to do a more ongoing kind of look. And, and I said, you're not allowed to tell me anything about the results of that ultrasound, are you? Because they're you know, it's the doctor that has to report on it. She said, no, I'm not. And, and she could see how stressed and anxious I was. I honestly thought I could potentially have a heart attack at any moment. That's how terrifying this feeling was. And, uh, and she said, but I wouldn't worry. And, uh, and I was just so thankful for her to say that because it really did take my anxiety down a notch. The next day, the cardiologist took me through all the reports of the 24-hour monitor and the ultrasound and said, you've got a beautiful heart, everything's looking gorgeous, you've had a couple of ectopic beats here and there, but really nothing that would cause any kind of concern. It's very normal for a woman your age, and it's also very normal to have a pounding heartbeat for any amount of time and literally just go away by itself. And that was when I sort of went, okay, great that there's nothing wrong with my heart, but what the heck is wrong with me? And after I'd seen my duck, he'd also, of course, requested some bloods and my liver enzymes were highly elevated. And I've never really had highly elevated liver enzymes since the birth of my child. And I had an emergency C-section, epidural. And also at that point, I started to draw some parallels was when the last time was that I had prolonged anxiety and a sense of hyped upness. So it was almost like how I was feeling this time round, but a little bit more subtle in terms of its presentation. Didn't have the pounding heartbeat, but felt very hyped up and very, very anxious. And so I started to think, gosh, well, what, you know, my liver's clearly not processed the drugs that were administered for the general anaesthetic. And it didn't last time either because those were the two times that I had elevated this and then the anxiety. So I started to research anxiety and general anaesthetic. Now, this is not a an allergy to anaesthetic where you get nauseous or you throw up when you wake up and all those things. This is a toxicity reaction, a, a, almost a, a gut-brain toxicity, a neuro, a nervous system toxicity where it's almost like my acupuncturist says general anaesthetic is basically mini-death. You're, you're put into a mini-death state, a coma if you like, and you're then asked to wake back up and your system is just expected to put itself back together again in a perfect fashion after a little while. And clearly this doesn't happen for everybody because there is a huge, huge percentage of people. I mean, the internet is literally filled with forums asking others, why don't I feel the same? When is my brain going to feel like it's back with me? You know, a lot of really scared people, very anxious and after anaesthetic who didn't have anxiety beforehand. So it's, it's something I'm now researching and going to be putting together a comprehensive guide around how to prepare for and recover from anaesthetic so that you can maximise your chances of having a beautiful, healthy, successful operation, surgery and into the future. But it does stand to reason that it would affect some people, whether you have methylation issues, you know, around your MTHFR gene. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why your liver or body in general might not be t- able to process anaesthetic as well as others. So it's really fascinating me and it's it's taught me a lot in doing research for myself and so once I had realized that this was a big issue for me 
I had to assemble the people that were going to help me feel better. And so I went with a wonderful naturopath, two fantastic chiros, one who's also a kinesiologist. I went with my, my doctor, obviously, as support for the blood tests and, and monitoring from the more severe kind of let's rule out all the bad stuff point of view. And uh, then came along <laughs> to some some kookier things that I'm going to actually be including in the podcast and Lotox Club coming up. My favourite probably being TRE therapy, um, which is a trauma release technique. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the people that benefit from TRE therapy are veterans uh, from wars, people who have been sexually abused, domestic violence cases, etc., and people who've had general anaesthetic. It's like one of the big groups of people who seem to end up finding this TRE. So I'm very much looking forward to having Sharon, uh, my TRE therapist, on the show in a couple of weeks to discuss this in more depth. But suffice it to say that it hasn't been an easy path to healing and it is very much a case of my whole endocrine system having had a complete freak out and now having to put itself back together. And the, the magic of herbs, supplements, meditation, chilling out, you know, I am not grinding the, the myself, I'm not putting my, oh gosh, you see what I'm like with expressions? I told you I'm bad with them. It's having a wonderful um, French mum. She mixed up her English expressions and, and I kind of just inherited that and my husband I'll be saying something and my husband will look at me halfway through I'll know that I've stuffed up an expression like I slept like a I slept like a tree or something and he'll just start laughing and I'll go okay what was it supposed to be but yes yeah, so you know I really have taken things down a notch and it has highlighted for me the magic in hardship and for anyone out there who is experiencing any kind of hardship right now in their life I mean, the hardship of having sleep deprivation for this long now, I'm going into my fourth month of not quite right sleep. And, and when I say sleep deprivation, I mean, two of those months were literally three hours of broken sleep, catnaps, almost nonstop. And the hideous symptoms and things that resulted from such a small amount of sleep, such as insulin resistance, such as serious um, nerve twitching, you know, some really, really scary stuff. And of course, because the anxiety is the thing that almost, if you like, started this whole thing, then, you know, you, your brain takes you to some pretty scary places. I've cried a lot. I have been very, very sad on some days. I would say depressed, actually, on some days, not every day. I've been very thankful to not slip into a deep depression, but certainly a feeling of hopelessness on a few days where you just, you lose that little thought that you might actually be strong enough to make it through stuff and you just have a mega down day of no hoping. And anyone out there who's experienced any kind of hardship who has those days, please get that connectedness happening for yourself. Don't worry about the embarrassment of admitting that there's a problem. Don't worry about actually explaining how bad you feel to someone. I, f I felt like an idiot telling my husband how bad I felt, how weak I felt. That's not an attractive thing for a wife to admit for months on end that you feel 
really horrible and like you don't want to get out of bed and that you can barely muster up the energy to cook something, you know, that's not that's not what we signed up for. But at the end of the day, it's in sickness and in health. And those people that have chosen you and you have chosen to be connected to, seek them out. Tell them you're everything. They will be there for you. And my my hubby, my family, my friends and my practitioners have really formed a, a, a solid base for me to support my own belief in myself and my own belief in my incredible body and our capability of healing to to keep moving forward. And if we don't have that connectedness, then on those days that we have no hope and we also feel completely alone, that's dangerous, guys. You know, we really need to keep that connectedness up if we're going to move forward from dark days, from from big health challenges. Where am I at today? I'm in a much better place mentally. I haven't had a dark day for a while and uh, I am sleeping better. I'm sleeping probably six hours, a bit broken up still, two or three times getting up in the night. But when I sleep, I, I do sleep a bit more deeply. I'm back to dreaming I've got more energy to feel good about the day, you know, to make my son's lunchbox and think about cooking something new and exciting for the blog. And that's a beautiful place to be coming back to. So even though I might have the odd day where I feel like it's two steps back, I have many more days that I feel a sense of moving forward. And you've just got to keep trusting that your body is designed to heal and that we are designed to be fear less. It's okay to feel fear, but we have to move through things and we need to have the tools around us in the form of people, practitioners and practices such as meditation. You know, I think Louise Hay has a fantastic uh, audio book on Audible, Overcoming Fear. And on the dark days, I would just listen to that. And I would just repeat some of those key things that she said. You know, I am safe in the place that I sleep because my senses are so heightened that I felt unsafe even just going to sleep. It was this sense of who's going to catch me um, all the time. It was terrible. And uh, that is gradually moving out of the building, thank goodness. But suffice it to say that... You're not crazy if you feel that certain things have affected you in certain ways because we're all so different and different things can affect us all in different ways. And the surgery is an absolute miracle for everything it can do for us. I That leaky eye was just driving me absolutely nuts for months and I had tried everything natural that I possibly could. So to know that there's an incredible human who can just get in there and and dissect the inside of your nasal and eye canals and sort that stuff out is pretty incredible. So it's not that I'm dissing modern medicine at all, but I guess my wish is a greater recognition for the dangers of general anaesthetic in people, uh, certainly people with methylation issues like myself, and that we just constantly work towards making it safer for people to have more positive outcomes. You know, that's my wish, I guess, in all of this. And as I said, you know, gifts come from hardships. And for me, the gift of going to bed at 10, 10.30 at night is just a beautiful thing. I'm not going to bed late, except if uh, Nadal and Federer are playing in a Grand Slam final as I did last 
last month, then um, that I make an exception for, of course, as I'm sure would you, if you're a tennis fan. But the the gift of going to bed early and just treating sleep like a god that it is, uh, is is just such a wonderful thing to do for ourselves and for our health. Um, I was just so shocked to see how um, that insulin resistance could creep up in literally just a month and a half of, of sleep deprivation to really, really icky levels, uh, which I now feel like I'm getting back under control. And the other gift is knowledge, you know, being that I have a community, you guys out there, I'm pretty sure one of you is going to need surgery down the track, if not a hundred of you, if not a thousand of you, if not 10,000 of us in our lifetime at some point. And to know that I now have been able to assemble a whole bunch of incredible people to guide you through that pre and post in a safer way, which I'll be able to share with you in a couple of months, is a really beautiful blessing. You know, there's nothing like uh, hardship to turn that into gifts to share with other people. Otherwise, it kind of feels like the hardship was a bit of a waste if only one person is affected and it's... And not such a great way. Uh, although I feel like a huge personal achievement I've I've, ha- I've been able to make out of this is a greater resilience, a, a greater trust that I can come back, I can be a comeback kid no matter what. And, and that's a really beautiful gift as well. So I wanted to share that because not everybody who shares health information or who makes tasty recipes to inspire you to cook more whole foods at home or who has courses to help you detox every aspect of your life, not even they, i.e. me, are healthy all the time and we all get stuck with a challenge here and there and it's what we make of it, it's what we do with it and it's what we do with the learnings from it that count in terms of moving forward in our lives and and helping others in theirs. So enjoy my chat with Paul. Uh, Back to our guest today. I can't believe we're up to show 27 already. If you are in Sydney, please go visit Billabong Retreat. I went just before Christmas, which was an amazing time to exit stage left. I was feeling at my worst and it was just such a beautiful place to be for a couple of days you know, with the sound of the wilderness, the crickets, the trees, the eucalypts, the, the, oh gosh, it's just such a beautiful place. And if you want to treat yourself, I noticed on one of my walks, as I looked up at the cabins, that there's some of the cabins have a bath on the balcony. How good does that sound? So, uh, next time I go, I'm so going to splurge. I'll wait till my birthday and call in the family experience prezies because I much prefer experiences to stuff for a, um, a bit of a billabong voucher, I think. So I can have me a bath and the sunset and read a book. Ah, I can't wait. Uh, You'll love Paul. It's a beautiful short interview of about 25 minutes, but the wisdom that he shares in that 25 minutes will absolutely, without a doubt, leave you feeling like you have a few more tools in your kit to find peace and sprinkle it through your day, as he says. Enjoy. Hello, Paul Von Bergen. How are you? I'm good. Alex, how are you? I'm so well and I'm so excited to have you on the show. We've had a little chat in the Lotox Club for our club members over there before and done a beautiful meditation just before Christmas, right when everybody needed it. But today I, I've brought you back to... I guess to share your amazing personal story as to how uh, creating the Billabong Retreat and becoming a yoga meditation teacher came about for you and also um, to just 
pick your brain on on modern stress and and how we can live more relaxed lives in the context of everything that seems to be thrown at us. And we're going to have a little look at breathing as well because uh, you've got some beautiful things to say around that and how we can use breathing as a tool. So before we hook into all of that, I would love to just ask you completely randomly, what's the best thing that's happened to you this past week? Well, um, thank you for that. Best thing that's happened to me in this past week, I would say the highlight of my week so far had been, was sitting down at the dining room table last night with my dad and my two boys. Um, my dad's over for Switzerland for a month, so I don't see him very much. And watching him um, play and interact um, with with my two boys, it was it was just pure pure joy just watching them in, engage. Oh, that's heartwarming stuff, isn't it? When you just have those moments of, oh my gosh, my family, how awesome! Yeah, just yeah. A pure bliss, and and you know, obviously, I've got a relationship with my dad, and I've got a relationship with my kids, and it was it's just so special to see my dad then having a relationship with the, with the kids. So. Mm. Um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often, so I, I really try to um, I try to resist the urge to pick up a camera and film it, of course. Of course. I know. Well, I've got an international family as well, and we don't unite often. You know, it'll be once a year, once every two years over in Mauritius or France, and uh, and I feel the same way. It's just you it, because it's not your everyday, it's all heightened for you when you see family in action and cross generations, and, yeah, it's really special. That's beautiful. Now, uh, there's no real way to segue, so I'm just, <laughs> just going to crack into a question I really want to ask you, which is that you're obviously a big believer in meditation for overall health, but I'd love to know, you know, just back to what I was saying before about the busyness of modern life. I mean, you run quite a big retreat these days, Billabong Retreat. It's, it's not a small task, I'd imagine, being the owner and founder of such a business. How does meditation look like for you on your average day in the life of Paul? How do you, is it about fitting it in or is it that everything else has to fit in around it? Sure. Well, it's, I think it's about two things really. So first and most important, every day has to start with a meditative practice. So every day has to start with some kind of what I call formal practice. Mm-hmm. And, and and I have quite a broad definition of what meditation is for me. And could you share what that actually is? Well, sure, yeah. Meditation for me is is um, having a formal practice where I'm practicing inhabiting my body and mind with a particular quality and focus. Okay. So it's, it's, it's really about the quality of how you inhabit your conscious being for a period of time. And you're, you're kind of being in a particular way with a particular focus, with the intention to stay attentive to your chosen focus, if you like. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is this, I've recently visited Billabong Retreat and it was absolutely stunning. Anyone who feels the year is getting to them, December is like the best time to go on a retreat because it's like an exit stage left of the crazy. And I did the two-night, um, what was it called, mindfulness retreat and what I loved was we explored so many different ways to maintain that focus so you could really find something that was perfect for you or at least perfect for you for that time in your life or the mood you're in or the season that it was 
And that for so many people in the room when we were all sharing which ones we liked and which ones we felt better at was a real breakthrough that people didn't all have to try and do one type of meditation or have those senses of, oh, no, I just can't do that kind of repeat the mantra over and over again because there were then five other ones that you could do. And and I thought that was just such a great breakthrough for so many people who feel like they fail at meditation. Yeah, exactly. So there's meditation can take many forms. And for me in the morning, I like to do um, a, a physical moving meditation where I'm, I'm linking the breath to my movements in very slow movements, a bit like Tai Chi in mm. space. Um, you know, I'd just call it yoga. Um, and I'm, I'm really trying to move my body with precision and completely tune my body into my physical sensations. And I'm trying to and make my breath bigger than my movement. So I'm regulating the breath in a particular quality. I'm noticing the patterns of the thoughts, of course, when thoughts arise, as soon as I notice, I try and let them go. And, and, and then I finish with a very short, probably maybe even 120 seconds of, of pure seated meditation. So mm-hmm. every day has to start with that formal practice. That really is what underpins my meditation practice. And then on top of that, what I like to try and do is sprinkle. sprinkle. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I love that word, sprinkle. Mm. Um, sprinkle moments of meditation or moments of meditative awareness through different things in my day. So, you know, I might have a moment when I'm driving or when I'm waiting at the traffic lights or I might have a moment when I'm walking up a set of stairs or loading a dishwasher or noticing some particular thoughts. I mean, for me, meditation and mindfulness is really the same thing. Um, But um, that's generally my goal is to have my formal practice and then my informal practice, which is the sprinkling of moments of meditation throughout my day. Beautiful. And and so what you're saying is we shouldn't be switching on our smartphones as soon as our eyes wake up and playing words with friends and checking Facebook. (laughs) Not so good. You know. (laughs) I don't. I never like to say what people shouldn't be doing because uh, well played. It's, yeah. You know. So, but but for sure. I mean, it's it, it's going to certainly start stimulating the mind straight away. Look, pretty much most philosophies and spiritual disciplines say do your personal practice first thing in the morning, and mm. that's pretty universal. And you know, you do your prayers first thing in the morning. You do your practice first thing in the morning. So there's something very precise and special about the very first thing you do when you get up. It really sets your day. It starts your day as you mean to go on. And it's the clearest point in the day. If you don't do something first thing in the morning, then it's ambiguous when you do it. Mm, That's so, so true. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. But you weren't always a super mindful meditation guru, were you? So can you share with us what you believe made you see the power in adopting a mindful practice? Yeah, sure. And um, firstly, can we, can we scrub the guru word? <laughs> I know. I actually say I am not your guru quite often myself. So, yes, apologies. No guru about you, Paul. Um, but, yeah, for sure. I mean, Look, my, my background was very different. Um, growing up at school, um, I wasn't particularly happy at school, I don't think. I didn't really find school very pleasurable or easy. I think I got bullied a bit, and then I started mucking around and showing off and, I don't know, to try and get a 
attention or to try and be cool. And then I got kicked out of a school. So I didn't find it particularly easy growing up. Didn't have a particular settled family life. There was divorce and trauma and lots of moving houses and moving countries and being kicked out of home and all those side of things. So it definitely wasn't on my radar. And in fact, the only thing on my radar growing up was to make money. That was my goal, make as much money as possible, as young as possible. You know, what what happened after I was 30, I didn't really care about. In fact, when I was 18, I didn't even think I cared about living past 30 or 35. Wow. Yeah, I've kind of changed my tune on that one a little, little bit now. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all about making money. I, I, I worked for um, as a consultant for soft drink companies, uh, peddling soft drinks to young children. And then I worked for a um, consultant for cigarette companies, helping them promote cigarettes to the youth market in clubs and music promotions and festivals and, and Ibiza. And, um, and, and that's what it was all about, making money, making money, you know, forever, whatever means possible. And I had a picture of a big uh, yacht on my desk. And that was my wow. That was my goal. I wanted to buy this Princess 22-meter yacht. It was about a million pounds. And then I was going to be happy. Mm. Ah, delayed happiness, the curse for us all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and then I decided my marketing consultancy wasn't making me the money quick enough. So I, I sold the houses I had in London and I sold my marketing agency and I, I poured all my money into a new retail business because mm-hmm. I decided that was what was going to make me my money. And I completely uh, mucked up the business and um, I lost all my money in about nine months, all the money I'd made over, over 10 years. In London, um, I lost in about nine months' time. Wow. And what did that do to you? Did you go to quite a dark place at that point in your life? For sure, yeah. And it wasn't a great place. I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a lot. I was using recreational drugs a lot, all of those kind of things. But I I, I ran away, basically, and I ran Mm. to Thailand, and I I plonked myself down in a little kind of beach house on on the beach in Koh Samui. And... um, and tried to work out what to do. I, I kind of thought my life was, or my business life, felt like it was over. I'd, I'd lost everything I'd worked for for 10 years. I really couldn't, at that point, see a, a path forward. So it was a bit of a, a low point in my life, for sure. Yeah, wow. And isn't it amazing how such young people can feel like it's all over? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just incredible that we can have such a dictation of how life and success looks that when we don't achieve that at a certain point in our lives, even as young as our late 20s, that we think, well, that's it, that's done, I I can't do life, you know, and it's just so we're not setting ourselves up to succeed very well with all of this money-driven belief system, are we? I think, you know, money-driven and youth-driven as well, I think both. Mm, 100%. Whereas the only thing that matters is what happens to me when I'm young because after I'm young I'm just an old person and then nothing matters anyway because they're kind of, you know, I've got no value almost mm. to society. I think, you know, society's gone towards that that belief as well. So, um, but look, I, I was lucky. I, I happened to live um, down the beach from a, um, a yoga health retreat called Spa Samui. And um, I'd never done yoga before, but I, I, I started wandering down this place and I kind of met loads of cool people and started to hang out with the people down there and some of those people talked me into starting to do some of the yoga and um, and over the period of well, nine months of living down the beach from this health retreat, 
I kind of got into the yoga and the meditation and the the kind of healthy eating and and all of that stuff through through osmosis really mm. just by surrounding myself with people who are passionate about that whereas previous to that I I just surrounded myself with people who were just partying and making money and and doing all of those kind of things so you know of course you you, you know you you become like your environment so if you surround yourself with people doing that you kind of can, can become like that but if you surround yourself with people on a different path then you know that's what you absorb true and and certainly when it comes to drugs and alcohol you know i've got friends who came out of their 20s who who partied a lot and who came out of it and kind of realized that they had absolutely nothing in common with the people they had been spending every weekend for the better part of a decade with. And I was in hospitality, so I was barely going out at all. I was serving people on their nights out. But, yeah, friends would just say, oh, no, we're not really hanging out anymore. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And it would literally be because they realised they weren't actually friends when they were in a conscious present state. So, yeah, fascinating. So how did you get to Australia then? So I'd actually, I actually got to Australia because oh, I, I backpacked over here for the millennium with some friends and I met a girl and she was an English girl. She came back to live with me in London and then we actually emigrated to Australia to set up the retail business that then failed. Ah, okay. So we, I toed and froed a little bit for the first few years, but after I was in Thailand, um, I came back to Australia again because I had another couple of years still left on my uh, on my four year visa. Mm, okay, so how do you get from doing a few casual yoga classes to saying I want to set up my own retreat and I want it to be in Sydney? Sure. Well, I mean, in in living in in Thailand, that's really where I got the idea from looking at other retreats and 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 it's and I'd always been kind of involved in the event industry as well, and and, and so I had a natural kind of a. Um, affinity towards organizing events and Mm -hmm. when I came to Sydney I did more yoga and I I followed my practice I um, started doing my yoga teacher training but not because I was going to become a yoga teacher of course um, just because I wanted to further my my practice but in the end after the teacher training I decided I was interested in becoming a a yoga teacher and I hired a retreat center a couple of times and and ran my own very small yoga retreats and then I met, met, met Tori my wife at yoga and we kind of talked about a yoga retreat idea a bit but it, it didn't seem very realistic and and in the end we decided we weren't going to and we started to buy a new house and then um, and then my mum died and, oh. and she died through her alcoholism oh gosh um, yeah and then that was a big change for me and um we, we cancelled the house we were just about to buy and I, I flew back obviously for my mum's funeral and we just, I just decided at that point that life is, was short and you just got to do what you want to do and make it happen and, and look I knew I was going to inherit a little bit of money from half my mum's house and I decided that the best thing I could do to honour my mum would be to spend my inheritance creating a place that helps people find peace of mind and contentment because my mum never found peace of mind and, and contentment so I wanted to do something that honoured honoured her her path really honoured her mm. so basically her inability to find it in her own life meant 
that her gift in leaving the world was to help others find theirs, really, at the end of it. That's, wow, and, and that's the, big. My mum was the most caring, loving, kind, beautiful, people-centred person. She she loved being around people. And she was, I believe, also super sensitive and, and super connected. But she never had a, an inch of training or guidance, whether it's spiritual or religious or anything she never had any guide as to how to be in a kind of you know sometimes insensitive world when you've got a sensitivity she she got brought up you know in the 60s where it was Mm. all about consumerism and money and and stuff and 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 she had all the stuff in the world i mean she had an amazing amount of stuff but she still wasn't happy and 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 certainly Mm. that's my belief is that my mum never found any spiritual path um, or never even knew she that's what she was yearning for, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it took you losing everything to find it for yourself in Thailand. Yeah, exactly. It's, mm. I mean, it's lucky I found it. It's, it's pure fluke because I can really resonate with my mum because I'm, I'm obviously I'm half my mum in some ways and, and so I can really resonate with her path because I was mm. on a similar path. Absolutely. And do you find that that sort of that yearning for stuff and let's add more stuff because we'll get happy after there's more stuff and things are bigger and better. Do you find that ever comes back to haunt you? I mean, you've got a gorgeous resort and it's, I, I would call it a boutique resort, it's quite a, a retreat rather. It's, um, it's, you know, not huge. Um, but do you ever think, oh, we need more rooms. We need bigger, better, everything. Like, does it come back to haunt you or do you feel you're able to experience it all the time? Yeah. So that, that that doesn't go away. That that urge, you know, to want more and, and, and have more, those thoughts still arise and that urge still arises. And, you know, it's it's been kind of, well, I think it's in some ways it's part of human nature. Um, and But also as well, it's kind of, um, uh, it's bred into us with our culture and our environment as well. And that's not, that's not going away. So for sure, I still have those urges. And you know, the only thing that's different is that hopefully I notice them more and more for what they are. And, and so I can start to tame them a little bit and not always feel that I need to action them. Um, so the urges still arise, the thoughts still arise to build more, go more, get more. Um, but the difference is sometimes, and not all the time for sure, sometimes I notice them for what they are and, and, and I decide not to act on them because it's the path I want to go down but Mm. you know I'm I'm certainly not living in a completely enlightened state where I don't have any of those urges or or desires and and I speak (laughs) to a lot of people actually you know teachers spiritual teachers mindfulness teachers who are very driven and, and and often have that a little bit of a conflict if you like between doing more doing more and living and breathing the teachings of being content and not you know Feeling, feeling we have to fill up all our time, you know, every minute of the day, etc. Oh, 100%. I find my biggest conflict is one of the values that I hold very dear to me is peace, but another one is to change the world. And those live in constant conflict with each other in terms of how that looks in my own life, how I feel peaceful, because... You know, I'm quite rah, 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 and we've got to do this and let's petition that and let's go march and let's, you know, learn about all this stuff so we can get rid of it, you know. And 
and I put all these courses on and I constant education. Then I go, oh, goodness, I haven't actually rested, relaxed, brought myself into a state of calm and peace today. And if I don't have that, things really do go haywire for me. So it's it's very interesting, isn't it, when you are a teacher, you don't stop being a student, not for one minute. Of, of course. Isn't, isn't there a famous quote about the kind of the changing the world versus changing yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there sure is. Now, but um, I mean, of course, and by changing ourselves, we do change the world, don't we? By by radiating peace and calmness, it's mm. changing the world because that's the energy we're radiating. If we're busy and and busy and and stressed, you know, that's the energy we're ra- radiating and contributing to the world. So it's it's an interesting one, the whole change the world thing, isn't it? And we've we've got that desire. Mm. It's it's about you know, I suppose how much we action that and, and doing it. I suppose it's how we do it, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. I've found just helping people flick the switch for themselves yeah. and then empower themselves to make changes yeah. is a really nice balance. Yeah, because then it's a transfer of wisdom, knowledge, power, anything you can possibly give, and then it's 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 their journey. So you don't have to try and orchestrate everything for everybody all the time. The challenge as well of course you know we live relatively short lifespans and the world doesn't always change as quickly as we think it should <laughs> <laughs> we want to see change in our lifetime we want yeah, to see change yeah. in our lifetime all of those kind of things and um yes it doesn't it doesn't move at the pace we like and, and then that can of course cause frustrations and irritation and stress and those kind of things. Yes, which would further compound our chance at achieving any kind of change, I think. Mm, very interesting. So um, I guess speaking of teachers and, and wisdoms, and uh, is there like if you think about all the texts, spiritual texts, um, retreats you might have been on yourself that that you've been exposed to, was there like a massive aha that you had along the way that helped the penny drop for you in your life? I mean, it sounds like it was quite an organic osmosis in Thailand, but was do you remember a moment or a thing that you heard or read at all? No, not really. It hasn't, it hasn't been like that for me. It's 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 been a slow chipping away, basically. You know, just chipping chipping away at the old patterns, and 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 it's been steady and continuous. And and sure, it has its ups and downs. But um, you know, there's been little blips of moments. Um, you know, look, I love when I um, obviously first did my yoga. I I loved when I first read some Eckhart Tolle books. Um, it was amazing when I did my first Vipassana meditation retreat. You know, I love watching films like What the Bleep Do We Know? Um, and in fact, I love the quote from What the Bleep Do We Know? That the, the trick to life is to love living in the mystery, not living in the know. Ah, that is a great quote. Yeah, I really like that really resonated with me, that one. I think, in fact, I think I've got it the wrong way around. I think that that the quote is, the trick to life is not to live in the know, but to love living in the mystery. Mm. Oh, gosh, that is beautiful. So that's, you know, it, it kind of frames up that whole notion of having a beginner's mind, looking at things afresh, trying to avoid judging things through our habitual patterns, um, and, 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 and just look, you know, trying to see the incredible beauty that happens, obviously, every minute of, of every day. That is, oh gosh, no, I'm, I can't even hear anything you're saying now, Paul. I'm just fixated on that quote. <laughs> That's just really, really gorgeous. 
I would love to talk a little bit about breathing before we wrap up because that is certainly something that can help slow us down, make us present, develop awareness. Uh, Have you got any favourite breathing exercise, something that you either routinely do or something that you teach others that uh, you've found has been effective for people to kind of just, you know, you talked about sprinkling moments of meditation through your day. I dare say breathing would be one of the top ways that we could do that, right? Sure. The, the breath is just incredible. It's, it's such a powerful thing. It connects us to our, uh, every moment of, of life. It's the connection between our conscious and unconscious mind. So absolutely, I, I believe the breath and connecting with the breath is one of the best ways that we can have during the day to bring mindfulness, meditation, awareness, you know, to our present moment situation and the one I think I like the most or the one I find the most useful is is the simple backward counting practice where you just link your breath to counting backwards so you inhale on one breath and you exhale on the next so so you inhale on one count you exhale on the next count so Mm -hmm. breath is linked to the backward counting the, the reason it's backward is because it's slightly more difficult than forward um, and, and therefore it stands a little bit more chance of keeping your your kind of monkey mind a bit entertained and um, and that can help keep it on, on track. But I find it's a, a meditation practice that you can kind of snap into pretty quickly. Mm. And I'm so glad you mentioned this one, Paul. I've got a huge smile on my face over here because this was the one that made the penny drop for me. On the retreat, I was like, I was the only person in the room, and I was like, I nailed it. It was brilliant. (laughs) And everyone was saying how difficult they found it. It didn't work for them at all. They had loved this one, this one, this one, but they didn't like that one. And I just had this huge smile on my face going, I cannot believe I just counted back from 50 to 1, breathing in on one and breathing out on the next. And the way I did it was picturing my little son drawing the numbers as okay. as we went. And it was just beautiful. And I've done it, gosh, at least every couple of days since. Great. Mm. Exactly. It's easy to, to do. You can just do one count if you're busy. You can literally say, right, I'm just going to count backwards from 50 to, to one. You know, and it takes, well, you know, roughly 50 seconds. And um, so it's not too much time. But, wow, just bringing yourself to your breath for 50 seconds a few times a day can have huge impact in recentering you stopping the stress just build up you know putting a kind of stop to any patterns that might be building up that day um so yeah and you can do it in so many different places you can do it with your eyes open you can do it when you're driving you can do it when you're um you know sitting at your desk and it's it's very flexible Awesome. I'm going to put that challenge in the show notes for anyone who wants to give it a little seven-day spin, maybe. Paul, that was just such a great chat. Thank you so much for your time. I feel like in a short half hour, we've covered some beautiful wisdom, some little ahas and some wonderful extra things that people can go on to read and explore. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And we'll also, of course, be putting the details of Billabong Retreat up in the show notes today for anyone who wants to take a look at that. It's just awesome to have a retreat that is literally, you know, half an hour from the centre of Sydney now that we can get to for Sydney siders or anyone visiting. I noticed there were a few um, accents when I was there myself last month. So thank you again. Uh, have a beautiful day. Great. Thanks, Alex. You have a good day too.
Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week.